What's up, college baseball fans? Live college baseball is back. Flow Sports is your home for live and on-demand coverage of the biggest tournaments of the year, including the State Farm College Baseball Showdown, the Round Rock Classic, the Frisco Classic, and the Sanderson Ford Classic, and so much more. Go behind the scenes with exclusive interviews, in-depth tournament previews, and a host of college baseball-focused content. Subscribe today by going to flowbaseball.tv forward slash 11-P-O-I-N-T-7. That is F-L-O-Baseball.tv forward slash 11-P-O-I-N-T-7. And when you purchase a Flow Baseball subscription, you'll get access to an entire Flow Sports network of over 25 sports. Don't miss out. Sign up with flowbaseball.tv forward slash 11.7. That's F-L-O baseball.tv forward slash 11.7. We are so excited to have them on as an advertiser and sponsor. Flow Baseball has done so much for us already, and we're really looking forward to having them on in the foreseeable future. Guys, don't miss out. Please go and get a subscription with Flow Baseball to show your support of college baseball today. What's up, college baseball fans? We have on a very special guest, a former teammate of both mine and Dimitri's, who's been super, super successful in the real world after leaving college baseball. This interview is going to be something just we've never done before, but I'm excited for, and I know you guys are going to love it. We welcome on Jose Hernandez, also known as the money or the millennial money mentor. Sorry, I knew I was going to mess that up. Let me, let me say that right, again. Man. Millennial money mentor. There you go. Yeah, I know it's money long. Mentor. Yeah, I so appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, dude. So, I mean, we obviously played together at Mercer, and uh, you, I honestly thought you had um, like every skill set out there to play professional baseball. Yeah. And I think I think you wanted to for a while. Yeah. And um, and then kind of like talk us through that process of, you know, whether to play professional baseball or go chase one of your other dreams and and the world of finance. Yeah, that's that's a good question. I mean, um, I'll, I'll always say that the only thing I ever really wanted in life was to play baseball and to play professionally. Um, and I just happened to take the finance stuff really seriously in school. Cause it's good to have a backup plan in case you don't get that call. And um, yeah, you know, I was had a pretty solid senior year and I basically was told just kind of stick around, you know, maybe second or third day type of thing. And, and it didn't happen. Um, but I did also work really hard when I was in school to network and line up some opportunities and, you know, uh, kind of the background that I come from, the opportunity that I had was once in a lifetime. So it was uh, it was really difficult moving on from the game. But, um, you know, I, I just figured that the opportunity that I had at the time was was too hard to turn down. And, you know, I made a decision and, and ran with it. Yeah. So you, you remember that commercial the NCAA used to put out back in like the middle 2000s, maybe early 2010s, where it was like, there's 27,000 NCAA athletes and only 0.1% go pro. The rest go pro and something else. <laughs> I can say you have done nothing but great things since leaving that, you know, cha not chasing that professional baseball dream, but now you're sitting there on Instagram with a, with a brand that you built yourself from scratch over 117,000 Instagram followers. And, and some, you're somebody that a lot of kids look up to kids in college, kids in high school that, you know, need help with finances, learning that kind of stuff, the, the type of finance that we don't learn in school. Um, yeah. You're there to help them out, you know, step-by-step step, and you've built just such a huge brand. Um, so like, just tell us about like, what kind of stemmed your thought process on that? Like, how did you decide you wanted to do that in, in the future? Yeah, that's another really good question. So uh, I'm always, question. yeah, yeah I, I try to be, um, I try to be pretty transparent about this. So like I said, my whole thing was baseball was my whole life. And um, I was very grateful for the opportunity I had after, after my career. And I went extremely hard at that. I went almost as hard at that as I did my, my baseball career. 
but if I'm being honest, I kind of felt at a point that I was trying to fill a void in my life. Yeah. And um, this, this firm that I was with was kind of in my mind at the time, well, you know, if I didn't play professional baseball, then this thing's the next, next thing closest to the big leagues. And again, coming from where I come from, that kind of opportunity, it, it kind of felt like it at the time. Um, but, you know, I was there for a couple of years doing the real work, being a financial advisor, managing people's money, running through financial plans, working extremely hard, uh, working long hours and getting real life reps in. And, um, you know, I kind of came to that realization and uh, I really struggled a lot with my mental health after my career, too. And I was working on that a ton and getting some help with that. And I just kind of got to the point where I was like, man, well, you know, I, I feel like I know what this is going to be now and, and what I can do with it. But, um, you know, I, I got to the point where I was starting to learn a little bit more about social media, and how you could use it for doing more than just like posting pictures of your friends or whatever and how you could actually build a brand on there. And I, I kind of just got the crazy idea of like, hey, you know, I kind of want to just start doing this on social media um, and doing a good thing and teaching people our age and, and people that haven't had an opportunity to learn about finance. Because, again, how I came up, um, money wasn't exactly a very abundant thing and financial literacy wasn't really a, a big part of my household. You know, being immigrants to this country, I'm super, super thankful for everything my, my parents gave me and the work ethic and everything. But Luckily, I was able to get educated through my finance degree and actually working in the professional industry, seeing what money is and, and uh, the importance of understanding it and that sort of thing. So I just kind of had the inclination. I was like, you know, maybe I can do something like this on, on social media. Yeah. And um, long story short, <laughs> not to get into the weeds with it, but basically, you know, Wall Street has really strict rules about what you can do on social media and what you can't do. And, you know, word got out that I was kind of posting on social media and they more or less gave me an ultimatum. And, you know, here I was a couple of years into the industry. And I was like, man, well, um, I knew that I was still young and I knew I was going to work extremely hard at it. And I knew there's a lot of opportunity in it, too, because there's so many fitness influencers and all these other types of influencers. But there weren't that many financial influencers for that reason, because, yeah, you know, for the younger generation. Yeah. 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 You yeah. Know, so. I don't know how many people know this, Jose, but I remember it all started a big pet company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. You were going to yeah. start at a pet. I don't remember if it was a uh, pet training, pet food or pet uh, toys or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So go ahead. all this sudden, I remember you, that's what you were, your niche, you were trying to build. Right. And then you, and then it was all to that. It was more finance. You found your, like your momentum. Yeah. Like, I don't know how many people even then, I, you knew yeah, that, I right? remember that. Yeah. Oh yeah. I remember yeah, that. Yeah, a yeah, lot yeah. of people so, probably don't remember you were in, into the pet business first. Yeah. And I, I actually want to talk about that. So um, yeah, I definitely got the traction with the finance stuff and I wanted to do that from the beginning, but um, I did like the idea of e-commerce too. And uh, my thing was I was trying to do way too much at once. So that's why I decided to ax that for the time being and focused on, on the social media and actually was able to revisit. Do you still want to go back maybe? Yeah, well, maybe, but I do have an e-commerce brand now. I actually have a Amazon business and um, I basically was able to scratch that itch of having e-commerce because it's the whole, you know, passive income uh, right. system working that you don't have to actively make the money for. So, or work for the money that is. So that was the idea behind that. Um, and, but yeah, I just, I had to just ax it. And that's a good like life and business lesson is like, you got to really try to stick to one thing. Uh, I was still like younger. I was like, man, you know, I, I can ma manage all these two, like two or three different things, but in real reality, I couldn't. So. Yeah. That's a great life lesson right there. Yeah. It's I real. Mean, just kind of spreading yourself emotion. too thin. Yeah. Cause you want to, you want to pour all your energy into one thing. And um, so Jose kind of taking a couple steps back. Yeah. You hinted on it for a little bit and I completely skipped over it, <laughs> but you're not from America. You're from Venezuela. And that is yeah. the coolest thing. And I think our listeners are going to love this story because not only are you from Venezuela, but I mean, you grinded to get to high school and, and yeah. get a spot to play college baseball, went to junior college where a junior, you were a Juco bandit for a while yeah. and you had to grind just to get to the division one level. So like, I know none of our listeners or maybe, maybe a few of them, but all of them are from the United States. They don't know the struggle of having to come over from a different country and learn yeah. the language of English and learn how to do, uh, you know, United States, like things the United States way versus what yeah. you're used to. So kind of, kind of just take us a, a few steps back here and, and walk through your childhood and like trying to describe your, your baseball life with your social life coming over. Yeah, man. Um, again, I, I always try to give 
credit to my parents for giving me everything that they could. Um, you know, they worked extremely hard and that's why I always talk about how I got my work ethic because I was just seeing that we had to be that way just to kind of survive. And um, I know that you don't have to be an immigrant to understand where I'm coming from with that, but it just happens to be part of the experience. And, um, you know, because we didn't really have an abundance in resources, I had to do some things that a lot of kids my age didn't. Like you, uh, you used to work at McDonald's before yeah. and after high school baseball games. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I remember you, you showed funny, me, but you showed me a picture of you in baseball pants with a McDonald's polo on, working the working the back. Like that's something that I know. Like I know nobody else out of all my baseball connections, nobody else has done what you did to get to where you're at. Yeah, that that's that's very true. I would keep my uh, my McDonald's work uniform in my car, and you know I would. Um, try to get some hours um, like after fall games, after varsity baseball games, just go out and get a couple hours. Cause you know, I had to, had to pay for my own travel baseball stuff. I had to pay for my you know, car, gas, all that sort of thing. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I had to grow up a little bit quick and um, yeah, having to, having to do those things, they built, they built some character early and I just, people ask me, you know, have you always been like this? I'm like, yeah, I just kind of had always had to be this way because exactly. that's just how we grew up. And um, to the cultural side of thing, I mean, that's definitely where the baseball comes from. You know, Venezuela is known for the baseball players and the huge, huge uh, representation in the MLB and our culture and everything. So some of the best uh, major league baseball players are from Venezuela. Yeah. I mean, a lot of good not, ones. It's not a coincidence, man. They, they, t- they you- love their baseball down there. Did you play ball growing up in Venezuela? Because I don't remember no, how old no. you were. Yeah, so I came to the States when I was young. I was like four or five. Um, yeah, we actually yeah, yeah. came to – went to Puerto Rico first and then uh, to the U.S. So I, I didn't spend too much time in Venezuela because things were just starting to get bad. Did your, did your parents install baseball in you or did you just kind of see it? Yeah, I mean, there was some of that, if I'm being honest. You know, me and Ben joke about this sometimes. Um, you know, just, uh, again, love my dad to death, but the whole, uh, you know, uh, overbearing Latin dad when it yeah. comes to baseball. I'm sure, sure people will appreciate that. Um, but, yeah, was, I mean, that he was... He would scream at you when you didn't hit a home run every game and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sort of thing. Um, and he took it hard when, when my career ended. He, he took it very hard. Um, but I mean, I, rem- I remember... Yeah, and Mercer. You, I remember we were talking one day, and uh, you were just talking. I was just so curious why you were staying up so late all the time with all this schoolwork and all your baseball. You took it so seriously, and I'm sitting over here complaining about how the cat food sucks, or, or like, <laughs> like why we have to eat this stuff, or like, oh, we got to get up and pull this. Like, I just complained about so many little things, and you told me, and I still won't, will never forget it. You told me like it means more to me. I do this for my parents. And yeah. you just had this fire. You said it just lights a fire in me. It just means so much to me, every little thing I do. And I was just sitting there like, and I went back to another one, get another guy on the team in BP. And I was just standing there, like thinking about all the things that I complained about, which are so little and irrelevant to the big picture. And I was yeah. thinking about this guy, like he's so much more worried, so much more worried about bigger things and more important things. And I'm over here like, and I was just like, damn, that makes so much sense why he works so hard, why he stays up so damn late, why he like, why he, his locker, his locker was so clean all the time. Like just the little things like that, that you just, you appreciated your locker. Yeah. It was so clean. You took so much pride in it and people don't realize that. Like, like those little things I noticed in you, I didn't really share it too much because it was just more personal for me. Yeah. 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 But it was like, damn, this is how you carry yourself. This is what it means to earn something and to appreciate your reward mm-hmm. yeah yeah no, i try to never take it for granted i know they're always saying you know never take putting on the uniform for granted that sort of thing it's so easy to take it for granted when you're playing you're like all right whatever yeah i get it but like yeah it's it was um you you want to know two things that uh, i never took for granted what's that watching there was two things that you did that i never took for granted watching okay. you take batting practice and watching <laughs> you throw <laughs> And watching you throw a ball to second base from behind home plate. I, I still swear on my life that your, your pop time is the fastest at the college level that there's ever been. And your batting practice was more impressive than Bryce Harper's. It was, five o'clock hitter. You were only, yeah. a, you were only one year older than me, but I felt 10 years younger than you. <laughs> when I would yeah, be in your yeah. BP group, I'd be like, Oh my God, please don't go after me. 
<laughs> yeah, we, that... used to, we used to make fun of Jose all the time for how serious he took everything, yeah. but there was just a little moment in time where I was just like, "Damn, like I need, I need to like take, like I, I, I appreciate, you need to that. appreciate this." But was, it was me a, and it was Nyquist, a like Nyquist and Jose were best yeah. friends. Yeah, they goofed around, but they were so serious and goofy at the same time that I just thought it was hysterical. <laughs> like listening, Ben, I can't explain to you some of the conversation him he had with Nyquist and some other teammates. You're just sitting there like, dude, like that's not me. Like I have no business being a part of this conversation. <laughs> but but now you looking back and everything, you understand why. Yeah. Like in terms of your baseball, like baseball wasn't just just wasn't for you at the end of the day for professionally or whatever. Yeah. But it built you to your social media, you were, you were not okay with just being average. Yeah. Same thing with hitting BP. You keep you last one, last one, you keep fouling it off. You don't like it. You keep doing that shit over and over until you end your day on a good note. Yeah. Same sure. thing with business. I'm sure. Yeah. You don't end your day until you are satisfied with your job for that day. Yeah. And man, I talk about baseball a lot when it comes to like the, the business stuff. I mean, I think that you hit it on the head there. I mean, I think there's so much that people can take from being an athlete and transition that into either their own business or their professional career. I mean, I think there's so many things that I'm so grateful for. I mean, number one, just the ability to compete, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, that's just, you can't put a price on that. You can't. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if college players listen to this or not, but like, it's one of the biggest things that you can really sell potential employers on is, you know, a lot of these companies they are looking for people, especially if it's some sort of sales position or something that has to do with, with bringing in revenue to the company. They want to find people that are driven, that can, you know, meet deadlines, that can be goals oriented, can work in a team, uh, all these different types of things, those intangibles that we talk about. Uh, I think that those are some of the most important things that I took from, from the, from my past life as an athlete. And um, yeah, I think that I've just kind of ran with them. And I think that um, it's kind of like business kind of becomes the sport after, after baseball, but yeah, man, I'm, I'm super grateful for that. Yeah. Jose, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but the, there's always one thing that stuck out about you that I always knew was going to make you successful and it, it relates back to baseball in our days at Mercer, but Kyle Lewis, the, yeah. the Golden Spikes Award winner, who ends up being your best friend, right? Like you guys are still very close to this day. Yeah. And the way that Kyle looked up to you and you know asked you for advice on whether it was mental health or like dealing with stress or just even like swing wise, you know, yeah. what am I doing wrong with my swing? The way he would approach you, I knew that you had like the it factor for a leadership position and whatever you were going to do. Because yeah. there's not very many guys out there where the best college baseball player would come up to them and ask them for advice about everyday life or baseball or whatever. So, like, kind of tell us about, like, where where did you get those, like, leadership qualities and attributes in your life? Like, was there somebody that was important to you that you learned from or was it something that you've always been gifted with? Yeah, um, man, that's, that's, that's a good, good question. <laughs> um, I mean, I think my dad always growing up was, would tell me about, you know, you got to work to be a leader in life and, and just have good qualities. And I think also part of it, maybe my position, I was a catcher and yeah. as a catcher, your field general, they call it, you're <laughs> yeah. in charge of being vocal and, and communicating with the pitcher and the infield and uh, just being, just being on baseball teams my whole life, just growing up. I think that all those kind of different things from my upbringing and some of the values that my dad tried to instill in me and, and my position and, and being, being on good teams too. I mean, I think I was really lucky to be on good teams by my junior college. We won our conference both years. And then at Mercer, we, we had conference championships each year. So I was lucky enough to be on a, you know, a championship caliber type of team. So I think all those different types of experiences really kind of shaped that, but yeah, it's, I think that's something that I also was able to transition into like the business and real life world is, is some leadership qualities. Cause that's really important. Yeah, no, yeah, no doubt. And uh, kind of just like wrap up this interview. I want to do one last little thing before we let you go. Um, I want you to tell I us your favorite, I want you to tell us your favorite baseball story. It could be whether you were eight oh, years God. old or 22 years old, because there's nothing, no, there's nothing that makes me happier than whenever I get texts from you or phone calls from you. And you're like, bro, do you remember when this, this, and this happened? Or one time this happened and we're always goofing around just talking baseball between us. And you have so many just hilarious baseball stories. 
was there any of them that just kind of stick out in your mind that like whether it was junior college or yeah years old that just you have to get off your chest to our listeners yeah so I mean I have a lot of good memories as a baseball player but I I just want people I always try to let people know try to let them understand how much of a grind junior college baseball is in the state of Florida (laughs) and um Man, we, we played for a pretty tough coach. I mean, like, if you've watched, like, Last Chance U for, you know, the footballs, it was kind of like that. Right. Um, you know, Coach Jones is thankful for him. But, man, those those two years were just, like, a massive mental toughness test. <laughs> so that's, that's probably why I was kind of the way I was at Mercer, too. <laughs> Some of that was still in there. But, um, yeah, I always kind of like to talk about how much of a grind uh, uh, junior college was. And I really remember one time my <laughs> – my sophomore year, it was the fall, and um, it was just kind of weird. We were playing, like, against um, – I forgot where it was, like, Sanford or something down in kind of close to Orlando. It was a really hot day. It was, like, 95 in, in like, August in Florida. It was super hot, and we were just dragging the whole game, and it was kind of just – like it wasn't, like, a super sloppy game, but it, just, it was slow. I think we lost, like, one to zero, and uh, I remember our coach kind of, like, after the game, we're walking down to the outfield, right field, because, you know, he's going to talk to us. And uh, he goes, keep walking. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> okay. And uh, he's like, keep walking. And, you know, we go down to almost like the right field uh, foul pole, and, you know, we're all on our knees talking to us. And he takes out this little notebook about all the mistakes that we made um, and goes over them. It was pretty calm. I mean, he was mad, but he right. wasn't like yelling. And I remember he like stops talking and he's like, so I'm just going to tell you guys right now, this is the last time this is ever going to happen. Everybody on the line. So we go to the foul pole and he makes this sprint from the foul pole to the other foul pole and back on a timer. And this is after, you know, we just played nine innings. And again, it was like super hot. Uh, I think, I don't know how many we ran, but we ran a ton. And the only reason why we stopped is because the best player on the team, he, he got picked up uh, by the, the Diamondbacks, but he was like, he was about to fall out. Like his, his leg like locked up on him and he could not get up. Yeah. Uh, so I remember we, you know, packed it up and got on the bus and I was like, just so dazed. And I remember I put my head down and I literally like woke up and it was like a two hour bus ride. And we were back in the lack of our, <laughs> where St. John's River was. So that that really, really sucked. I was like, man, this is the worst day I've ever had on a baseball field. But that, that's not the end of the story. So the next day, we play, it was like 12 or 13 innings intra-squad. And um, we we had to do these things as punishment. They're called 77s. So you would start at home plate. You would like sprint to the right field, foul pole, pretty close to the fence. And then you'd cut and sprint all the way across and then, you know, sprint down to home plate. You had to do that within 77 seconds. You know, I'm not, I wasn't a fast guy. I was running hard and I would make it like 75 seconds every time. You know, we're running really hard. So we, every time there was like a little mistake, like a pitcher didn't back up first base or someone made an error or someone didn't communicate or something like that, he would stop the inner squad and we would all be on home plate and we'd be on the clock. We ran about like nine of those and we played 13 innings. And I remember we, I got back to my apartment that night and my, my body was just shot. Um, no. So before that we went to beef Brady's after. Yeah. So this is, this is crazy. So we eat, we're just talking about, man, these last two days have sucked. Like I hope this isn't the rest of the fall or, or spring or whatever. And um, I get to the car and dude, my, my legs lock up. I like, I couldn't even, <laughs> like I couldn't sit down. My legs were like cramping. And I remember calling my, my, team I was like Josh bro like I cannot drive right now he's like what what's going on are you drinking I was like no dad just I cannot move my legs bro I might need you to come pick me up he's like what man I was like yeah hold on let me just give me a couple minutes I'm gonna see if I can stretch it out and whatever I, I, I was eventually able to get in the car I drove home and then that night I swear to god this is the first and probably only time in my life where I wondered if baseball was really something that I wanted to do I remember my entire body, bro. My entire body at the same time cramped. Full and like, I was, oh my god! I was I couldn't move. It almost felt like I was like, like dying. <laughs> I don't know how. <laughs> else to put it. I really don't know how else to put it. And it's funny because in junior college too, we uh, we one year I had the, the room, and then my sophomore year I decided to spend a little bit less, and we kind of did this like 
set up in the living room where we could we just had like a curtain um, a curtain <laughs> and i slept like on this like futon thing which was terrible for my back but i did it my sophomore year because my boy josh did it my freshman year whatever but i was laying on that my entire body was cramping and i, I was pretty i'm pretty sure i was in tears and that night again was the first time ever in my entire life my entire baseball career was like it's like man if if division one baseball is the same thing as this like I don't know if I want to do this. Like, I might right. just go to UCF. Holy like, shit, me too. I'll just go to UCF and like be a student. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I'll figure it out. Um, so yeah, so that's not the best story I've, or memory I have. It's probably one of the worst memories I have. But, but it's it definitely so sticks look out. Back. And um, college man. baseball ain't no joke, man. Especially at the junior <laughs> college level. <laughs> no, especially in the state of Florida. Because if you win Florida, you're going to the World Series. So For that's sure. super, super. It's like a bunch of people that failed out of Division One or like you know like you know did you you ever go to grand junction no i didn't no we we won our we won our conference but we we couldn't get past the state yeah well cool man well jose man this was this has been a pleasure and it's been a while like we've been wanting to get you on for like two years now just because of like how how big of an impact you had on our lives and like how successful you are now but i want all of the listeners to go follow you on instagram you know he's got one hundred seventeen thousand followers for a reason he puts out daily content that is unbelievable for any kind of finance needs. And he's just, I, I, go, I learned so much from him too. Yeah. And he's Appreciate funny. He, he, he comes up with his own memes that yeah. kind of explain things that are hilarious. So his Instagram name is just the millennial money mentor, all one word. And then he also has a Twitter account at Jose underscore T M M M like as in Mary. So three M's in a row. And uh, plenty of money mentor. Yes. And uh, he's always open. I mean, he answers DMs like crazy and uh, he's always there to help you guys out. So Jose, man, it's been a pleasure. Thank you again for coming on. And, uh, you know, just text me, text me. We'll talk some baseball. (laughs) Got you, man. Hey, Jose, appreciate it, man. Yeah. Yeah, appreciate it. Proud of you guys, man. Yes, sir. Appreciate it. Bye. What's up, college baseball fans? I have an excellent guest here today. I know I promised you guys a lot of interviews this year because you guys seem to like it. And um, for today, we have an unbelievable guest. His name is Jordan Scott, and he is starting the movement to make sure that baseball stadiums around the country are aware of the, the consequences of foul ball trauma that our own fans are receiving multiple times a year, hundreds of times a year throughout Major League Baseball, Minor League Baseball, College Baseball, High School Baseball. He is the one who has been pushing the agenda to get um, extended netting down the right field and left field lines to make sure that 100 mile an hour baseballs aren't affecting us in a negative way. So um, I want to welcome on Jordan. Jordan, it's very, very good to have you, man. Uh, We were just catching up before the show and uh, you just seem like a very entertaining and fun guy that has a a plan in place to make sure that our safety, our kids' safety, and other baseball fans um, are going to be safe at major league stadiums, minor league stadiums, and college stadiums moving forward. So, Jordan, I'm going to let you take it away. Go ahead and just tell us about what your plan is moving forward and how you've come to get this plan to be put in place. Hey, I really appreciate it. Um, Thanks for the intro. So, yeah, I'm a huge baseball fan just like you, and it's it's dawned on me, you know, from – 15, 20 years ago that we, we've been we've been sitting ducks for all these years in certain sections at ball games, And uh, I feel like this should not be. And um, the incident, uh, the, the incident that got a lot of attention uh, in 2019 was the little girl who got hurt in Houston from unfortunate bat by Alberto Amora and a little girl got hurt uh, seriously. And I thought enough is enough because I believe that most fans don't really think that it can happen to them and they keep coming back to their families and they can come back to those seats with their families. And sometimes they're free seats and then could be corporate seats at the major league level or depends on how good your team is doing that year. You can get tickets really cheap if your team's not doing good that year on StubHub, but you're still going to be in the bullseye or you're overpaying and you just want to be in a great section. Also, uh, sections behind home plate, vertical netting also needs to be uh, elevated behind home plate because in 2018 at the Dodger game, uh, a lady who died, 79-year-old woman, she got hit in the head at Dodger Stadium. And the Dodgers took about a year and then they did elevate the netting. But 
maybe 29 out of the other 30 teams have not elevated the netting and, and 93 mile an hour balls are still flying back behind home plate where it can do serious damage. So, you know, I'm really hoping that each stadium is, is retrofit uh, to where no balls, 80, 90, 100, 110, 120 mile an hour balls will be reaching us in split seconds anymore. I think it's a fixable problem. It's a doable problem. Um, on the major league level, I don't think Major League Baseball has done enough. I think there should be an independent netting council that oversees the installation of uh, appropriate retrofit at Major League Stadiums. And the minor leagues is a whole nother matter. Um, there's around 2,400 Major League games a year. In minor leagues, is almost four times as many games in the minor leagues. And that's about 9,000 games a year. And these stadiums, according to some minor leaguers who are interviewing with me for a book that I'm working on right now, really are in, in conflict because they're screaming out to their mom and dads, please, you need to sit behind the nets, but they can't get on the public address and tell everyone else. Exactly. And uh, so, Jordan, you bring up some good points with Major League Baseball and an independent netting council. Um you know, and I think it needs to be nationwide because we talked about it a little bit before we started recording. Um, this isn't just a nationwide problem. This is this is a U.S. problem because if you go and look at um, professional baseball overseas in Japan and Korea, um, they have netting all the way down, and it's because they 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 want their fans to be safe and in a comfortable atmosphere. Um, and so I can speak on it as a for a college baseball aspect. I can tell you that I think zero big time college division one teams have netting all the way down. And most of them now are getting stadium renovations put in where there are fans in vulnerable spots. And it's one of these subjects that doesn't really matter to you until it hits close to home. Um, you know, you could be sitting in one seat one day and then two weeks from then uh, have a fan get hit in the head. And that could have been you. You don't think about it like that, but as far if you take a step back, it, it's a, you're in a position where you're always at risk when there's no need to be at risk. So what my question to you is, what's the first step that our listeners and fans can take to kind of spread awareness, uh, take some action? Uh, because nobody's going to want to be put in a position where they have a loved one or a kid or, um, you know, maybe a friend, you know, have an accident at a stadium uh, that could have been totally avoided. Right. Well, currently the situation is dire. And in a couple of weeks from now, Major League Baseball will convene uh, and hopefully fans will be allowed coming back into the stadiums and the ballparks. But to, due to the current state of the ballparks, a year ago at this time, I had called all of the uh, home teams that host games in Florida and Arizona in the Cactus and the Grapefruit League. That's where the major league teams have their spring training games and people pay and they come to the games. And 16 out of the 30 home teams did not have netting beyond the end of the dugout, did not have extended netting past the dugout. And people are getting maimed regularly past the end of the dugout. And, and that tells me no way that the commissioner uh, of baseball Manford and all the teams are sincere about getting it done. He had said in March, in December of uh, 2019, he implied that most of the major league stadiums, when, when the, when the games would resume in, in April, when opening day would be that most stadiums would have significant change, but he wasn't specific, but clearly three months later in spring training, 16 out of 30 teams did not have extended netting beyond the end of the dugout. And those, those little ballparks are, are similar to minor league ballparks. And, and from what I understand from some of the minor leaguers I've talked to, conditions are pretty bad there as well. Yeah, no, exactly. And so the biggest debate that comes up whenever I talk to friends or family about you know extended netting, because I know back in 2019 when most major league stadiums extended it, people were either you know, on one side of the fence or the other, either, you know, this is great for the game of baseball. Now I can bring my kids to a lower section. We don't have to sit 200 feet away. Um, but then you have the, I want to say like baseball traditionalists or purists that are saying, no, we, we won't be able to see the game any better. Like that's not baseball. That's like the biggest debate is just that phrase. It's not baseball. We want to be up close in the action. Well, 
how do you kind of go back at somebody who says, no, I don't think that's good. I'll never go to a game again. If they extend the netting, I won't be able to see, I won't be able to focus. Uh, how do you, how do you like debate with somebody over that? Um, is there like maybe a, a phrase that you say, or is there a, um, you know, a, a fact that you bring up that can maybe kind of shut them up for now? Well, I do go back to 1970 and that's quite a long time ago, a 14-year-old young man, Alan Fish, unfortunately died at the Dodger game by getting hit with a ball. And I felt like that was the time that Major League Baseball certainly should have brought in their season ticket holders and said to them, hey, guys, we have to put up the nets. I said, uh, uh, we, we think that the nets need to be up because it's your safety that's really at risk here. Um, and... I believe that if that was the case, if baseball was transparent with the fans, because they know the data and they know it's not a matter of if, but they know it's when. But 90% of the folks that sit in those seats really don't think that's the case. When you had that experience, which I had one of those experiences during a playoff game where I overpaid to sit in a great seat, and that's when there was no netting above the dugout. It was actually game six, Mets, Cardinals, and 2006, Mets had won the game, forcing a game seven, which they lost, but, you know, good old try. Um, I was sitting next to celebrities, but I was nervous as can be. I never sat in those type of seats. And I knew the reality of balls being, you know, deflected this way or that way, and they come at you in a split second. So it's very hard to relax when you're exposed to that possible possibility. But clearly MLB had their opportunity when that had occurred to be transparent with the fans. They haven't. I'm not too kind about to Major League Baseball in some of my writings, comparing them to other organizations, because I believe they're dishonest by not telling us it's not a matter of if, but when. And they, they owe that all the baseball fans, certainly 50 years ago going forward. And I believe if they... Just said to the fans then or now, better late than never, guys, we need to bring you in. We need to talk to you. It's a matter of reality. People will be maimed. It's just a matter of reality, and we can't have that anymore. Kids should never be allowed in our in these sections anymore. And if there was any government agency that really knew this for a half a century, they would have stepped in. And for they would have sure. said, no, kids allowed, period. You want to sit there? You're a daredevil. You're an adult. You want to sign a waiver? That's your call, but you're not bringing your kid. Sorry, exactly. you can't bring your kid. So I believe this is, people are going to have their moments of, oh my goodness, I came to this uh, stadium and ballpark twice a year with my families and we were basically sitting ducks the whole time and we really didn't have that idea. Yeah, how do you feel now? Exactly. I feel pissed. Good. Well, that's it. And that's what I'm hoping to do. People will have the aha moment of like, oh wow, this could have been us. Right, exactly. And so kind of comparing it to other like major professional sports, uh, you know, you have the NBA, there's no netting because it's not needed. There's no, uh, there's a, a field goal net in the NFL. But besides that, there's no netting because you're further off and there's, you know, no at risk balls being flying into the stands or players being flying in the stands. But if you compare it to a sport like hockey or arena football, you know, there's, there's nets put up in place or screens or glass in hockey being put up in place because it is so unpredictable, right? So if you take the, the phrase unpredictability, that is the game of baseball. You know, as someone who played and who hit a lot of hard foul balls because I was either very late on the pitch or very early on the pitch, um, you know, you hit some screaming line drives unintentionally straight at the fans. And there were multiple times during my at-bats or my teammates at-bats where you were just inches away from hitting somebody and really damaging their life. And, and so – you kind of get the perspective of, well, I'd rather go to an NBA game where there's no nets or, you know, NFL doesn't have nets. Why do I, why are there nets here? I think the, the key phrase is unpredictability because the game of baseball itself, you can never predict anything, um, you know, just inch like millimeters away of, you know, getting hit, damaging yourself. And then it kind of falls back on, okay, is it the player's fault? Is it the, is it the team's fault? Is it, you know, whose fault is it whenever I do get hit? Like, how am I going to pay for these injuries? And so, like you said, we've, we've seen quite a bit in the major leagues on television where they stop the game because someone gets hit and they have to have medical attention. What, what is the step going forward to 
to get these things in place. Cause that's my main concern right now. Uh, I do consider myself a baseball purist, but at the same time, safety for others is my bigger priority. So what, like, where can people go to kind of take part in this movement, get some action going? Um, you know, I know your website is foulballsafetynow.com where they can go and learn more about it and see what kind of plans you guys have in place there. Um, I also saw a change.org um, petition being put in place where you sign and get some awareness going on. What do people need to do, and especially our listeners need to do, to get their, their high school teams having better nets, their college teams having better nets, minor league t- teams? Like, what's the, what's the next step here? Well, sure. I mean, clearly, the, the older generation needs to understand uh, the high school player, the college player, 4,000 minor leaguers, they're in anguish. They know silently they're playing in a community that unfortunately will be part of maiming someone and it's coming soon. It's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't believe that should be on the shoulders of any young person who's striving for bigger dreams and goals to possibly become a major leaguer. Why are we putting these folks in a position to be in anguish? It can't be a good feeling knowing that oh my goodness, if I come to the game today, will I hurt someone or will one of my teammates hurt someone or the community at large somewhere today in the state or in the country, it's going to happen. And I'm part of this. What can we do about it? So that being said, I believe that the players that are currently playing have not been addressed properly from the generation that came before, whether it be Uh, The players union for the major leagues, uh, certainly these folks at this time now are are making all very good livings. Uh, They're not looking out for their non-unionized 4,000 minor leaguers who most will not make the pros. But, hey, these guys, what are they going to do? They're going to tell mom and dad, but they can't get on the public address and tell everybody else. They just can't do that. And, And who's asking them to do that? Why aren't the players union guys like Tony Clark, who runs the players union, former player, former minor leaguer, former professional player, did a tour of duty with the Mets. And I think with the Yankees, uh, I think was mainly a tiger. Um, And uh, where are these guys looking out for the young people that are probably in turmoil? And they know now more than ever that the scrapbook is so big and wide of all these injuries. Yeah, people are. Uh, documenting these injuries on the major league level. I have at least 39 children, 39 kids from 2008 to 2019, mostly head injuries that were struck. um, And most of them are recorded at major league games. But since there's almost four times as many more minor league games, I believe that there's a lot more data out there that we're discovering. And what I've been doing is I've been conducting these press conferences and recently uh, had one in Japan and, and the most recent one in Korea. And we had some articles, which was very helpful. Uh, and I have a chorus of people that have been coming on the show, including Erwin Goldblum, who's the widower of Mrs. Goldblum. And his his wife died um, at the Dodger game. And this was in the low section behind home plate. So major league level, minor league level, you're telling me a lot on the college level is problems. We need to have retrofit. The fans will adjust to the nets. And really we don't have a choice when they, when they told us years ago, Oh, we have to have seatbelts in the back seats of the car. You know what? That's what they did. You know, you don't have a choice. We're not allowed to roll around the car anymore, but we adjust it. And today with modern netting, I mean, most people are saying it's no big deal. On my website, I say 78% fans agree with netting, but I also put right below it, 100% would agree with netting if they really knew the realities. Yes. So often, and they would probably be, well, is the netting in, in, in 21st century uh, the latest, uh, you know, high tech netting for yes it is you know so it's even better than it was 50 years ago so everyone adjusts so that's been when you hear people don't like netting it's 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 i think perpetuated from the the management of the teams or the organizations that say we don't want netting 
They're telling us we don't want any. How about educating us, bring us in, bring in the dedicated season ticket holders. Should have been done a half a century ago, but better late than never. And let's just get this done. We, we'll all be happy. But the bottom line is no kids should be allowed going to Arizona or Florida next week if those stadiums in the next few weeks, if those stadiums aren't retrofit, where those 80, 90, 100, 110 mile an hour bulls won't be reaching them in a split second. Yeah. Can't happen. So. Exactly. No, and I I like the point you brought up of, you know, 78% agree there needs to be more netting, but 100% would agree if something happened to them or happened to someone they cared about. It's one of those things where you bring up the seatbelt analogy where, you know, at the time people were like, ah, it's never been a thing. Like we don't need it to be a thing. And then boom, more and more wrecks would happen because cars are going faster. Uh, there's more roads now. So uh, back whenever they put seatbelts in, the, uh, at the time, it was a it wasn't a problem because nobody had the idea or the vision that it was a problem. It was kind of just accepted. Well, right now in baseball, we kind of are in that same place of ah, it's accepted. You know, you're going to sit, you know, in second row down section 113. You're going to be 20 feet from the from the uh, on deck circle, but there's no netting there to protect you. Well, like what what is the issue? The issue is that these things happen in a split second. It's so unpredictable. And it's really just a debate versus like tradition and pleasure versus like science and facts. And, you know, when you when you have all these cases now of people having head injuries or, you know, broken arms, broken legs, it, it's starting to become a problem now where it needs to be addressed. It needs to be action taken forth because pleasure and tradition can always be changed. It can always be rewritten. The tradition that I want to avoid is the tradition of injuries at major league games or at baseball games in general. That needs to be taken out. It's it's such an easy fix, and it's really just the debate now of we don't want it. Well, okay, why don't you want it? And they can't give you a good answer there. So um, let me go ahead and just plug your Twitter now. Um, we can re You guys can reach Jordan at um, – his Twitter handle is at Scop, S-K-O-P-P, Jordan. Um, tweet him your thoughts. Follow his page. Um, he's always putting out great content. Um, and, and coming up with new research, new facts, new articles about how things can be taken place. Um, I guarantee you not every listener has had something affected to them or had someone close affected to them, but those days could come. It, it, they could come. It could come to you. It could come to someone else you care about. Um, Jordan, um, your website, foulballsafetynow.com. What can people do to reach you on that website and what kind of action can they take here immediately? Sure. Hey, thank you, Ken. Um, what I think is really important right now is anyone who's listening, please go to Foulball Safety Now, sign the petition. It's important to get people to sign the petition so I can prove that people are ready to, 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 to put, put this on the desk of Commissioner Manford. It's, it's an easy fix. It's a few days to get stadiums retrofit. Um, it's not a lot of money compared to what these teams produce every year. They produce $10 billion a year. They should be paying for all of, the, all of their uh, minor league affiliates and get it done. Don't, don't, don't put it on the minor league uh, community to get it done. Get it done for your affiliate in the minor leagues. Some of the states um, are uh, one state in particular. I think it was in Ohio. They're waiting for state money. Uh, to pay for the netting. And it's like, why are they waiting for state money to pay for the netting? I said, the, the team, if it's an affiliate of a major league team, get it done. Um, and, and, and why are we putting these kids in harm's way? And I do feel like uh, it's a dark era. And I'm going to remind this all, it continues to be a dark era because this is going to continue. So I hope there's outrage um, and people get upset. Please sign the petition um, and please share any thoughts that you can find, uh, have on it and uh, add to the conversation. And um, ho uh, hopefully, uh, you know, we'll get uh, we'll get this done. Maybe there'll be a press conference one of these days, hopefully very soon, that says uh, either a government agency is coming in to do some uh, forming a new committee, like an independent net the teams that do it. Uh, they need to do it in conjunction with the Independent Netting Council. So it's not a baby step. The nets came uh, 14 feet this way or 10 feet that way. It needs to be done the right way. 
So exactly. That's what I want to say about that. No, exactly. And so, Jordan, I, I want to have you back on the show, uh, sure. maybe towards the end of the season, and because that'll be the uh, start of the major league season. I want to be able to talk to you about, you know, what kind of pr- progress we've had since today on February, let's see, February 3rd um, until later in May, because I think this it will pick up some steam. And it really just starts with a conversation, a conversation like what you and I just had uh, with the listeners. That's how this thing is going to snowball into a, uh, a bigger thing, because it's so easy to fix. And it, it's so easy to fix that, you know, it should have happened 30 years ago, like you said. But people are kind of avoiding it until something comes up. And what we don't want to happen is a, a big issue come up where, you know, a young man or a young woman or just anybody in general loses a life or, you know, gets blinded for life. Um, we want to put this to an end. Um, if there's anything that I can do to help you, because I'm definitely going to sign this petition here just in a second. Um, if, I'm going to be able to spread this awareness because I think it is important to the game that we, we preach safety. Uh, we get this movement done because, I, I mean, I think we're really just two or three steps away from getting some action put in place. So, um, again, foulballsafetynow.com. You guys go check it out. Uh, Jordan, I do appreciate you, man. You're fun to talk to, and uh, I Thanks. like the vision that you have. So um, we're definitely going to be able to um, put some action into place, hopefully at the uh, major league level, and let that trickle down to minor leagues, college, high school, all of that. So, um, Jordan, man, it's been a pleasure. Thank you again. Let's keep in contact. And if you ever need anything from us at 11.7, we're here to help you out, okay? I appreciate it. Thank you again. Yes, sir. Have a great rest of your day. Again, guys, I just want to remind you one more time that live college baseball is back and Flow Baseball is your home for the biggest tournaments of the year. Get unprecedented access to live coverage of the State Farm College Baseball Showdown, Round Rock Classic, Frisco Classic, and the Sanderson Ford College Classic, and so much more. Subscribe today by going to FLO baseball.tv forward slash 11 p-o-i-n-t-7 that's 11.7 that's f-l-o baseball.tv forward slash 11 p-o-i-n-t-7 and that address was presented by flow sports you guys go show them their support i told them that we have the most loyal fans in the game please show them the support